1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that, just like the Goonies, he never says die, he is the captain. Baby Ruth, it's good to be
2: seen and it's good to see you, you crazy freak bitches.
1: You gotta watch out for those Fratellis there, Captain, one of the greatest evil empires of all time. Tonight we are drinking Dark Force by Elevator Brewing Company. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. Dark Force is well balanced. It has a dark copper color. It's lightly hopped with really good drinkability. And Dark Force was brought to us by our garage friends. First up we have Anna who says, Hey guys, I'm sending you some love from the deep south all the way down in Mississippi. Next we have a big shout out to Emily in Dallas, Texas. Staying in the great state of Texas, we say hi to Kathy and Rachel in Austin. Hi. Next up, we have Tony, a.k.a. the Iron Man in Georgia. Tony says this beer money is for you guys to try out Stone's Crime and Punishment. And next,
2: a big shout out to Amy from that bastard state up north. O-H.
1: hi Well, <laughs> That makes it sound like we're the bastard state.
2: we might be the bastard
1: state amy is in the snowy upper peninsula of michigan so thanks to amy let's give a nice cheers mate to d morgan from oxfordshire united kingdom cheers mate and last but not least we have gina who says she's been listening since episode two and Mm. she's been hooked ever since well i'm sorry i apologize She wants us to give a shout out to her awesome husband, Mike, who's also a listener. Gina and Mike are all the way in San Marcos, California. We,
2: got, we get a lot of husband and wife duo teams listening to the captain and that other guy.
1: So thanks to everybody who bought us around for this week's show. If you want to buy us some beers for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on that donate button.
0: Like your team.
1: Check out the new Untapped app, it's for all the beer drinkers out there, and you can check me out, True Crime Garage. And check
2: us out on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, at True Crime Garage.
1: All right, get ready for our second most requested case of all time. So everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
2: week's questions have circled about Elisa Lam after the Vancouver woman went missing in Los
1: Angeles last month. Yesterday, police found her body in a hotel water tank. That's just raised even
0: more questions. It stretches believability that a young Canadian tourist could accidentally end up dead inside a water tank, at the top of an L.A. hotel, and yet very little makes sense about the strange disappearance and death of Elisa Lamb. I just feel so bad for her parents. The Investigators have to be flummoxed at like this because if it is foul play, you know, why did she act so odd? The last footage of her in the hotel elevator is perplexing. Why did she press all the buttons? Was she talking to someone? Was she trying to hide? Coroner Ed Winter says perhaps the autopsy will provide some clues.
1: Uh, we are conducting an investigation into the death of Miss Lamb. The autopsy is scheduled for tomorrow.
0: Either she met with foul play or somehow the 21-year-old would have had to have gotten through locked doors onto the roof, avoided tripping an alarm, and then climbed up inside the water tank. The hotel itself has not made a statement, but it did send guests this letter, telling them to check out immediately, which this British tourist did, but not before she drank the hotel water for eight days. And the water for first two seconds or three seconds was coming black. And then after a while we would drink it, but it had strange, funny, sweet taste. It's disgusting. Utterly horrible. Surely that will add to the notoriety of the Cecil Hotel. It was already on tour operator Kim Cooper's crime tour of LA, thanks mostly to the infamous night stalker serial killer Richard Ramirez, who killed 14 people.
1: And during his spree when he was doing a lot of home invasions for satanic purposes, he was actually staying as a resident of the Cecil up on the 14th floor.
0: More relevant to Lamb's case is why was she staying in a hotel in such a dodgy part of LA? Here in Vancouver, it was difficult to find anyone who knew her well. No one could explain why she went on a California holiday by herself or what her state of mind was when she left.
1: Tonight we are covering the disappearance and mysterious death of a young woman named Elisa Lamb. This was a, this still is a very popular case. I know that sometimes we cover very popular cases and we have also got a bit of a reputation for covering the lesser known cases. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to take a quick minute here and kind of pull everybody into the garage and do a little behind the scenes moment. Regarding case selection, uh, this is not a task that we take too lightly. Uh, Case selection is something we are both very much involved in. The True Crime Garage Army are very much involved in this as well, even if they don't know that they are. Uh, so case suggestions here. Listener requests are the number one factor in our determination of case selection. So we, we get on average about three or four case suggestions a day. Believe it or not, we do collect that information and compile it. We have a master list that would make your head spin mm-hmm. uh, if I were to show it to you. Uh, I mentioned this just because we have had a time or two where I'm sure someone thinks that their requests have fallen on deaf ears, but that is simply not true. Just because we haven't covered your case does not mean that we never will. But by getting three or four daily requests, Mm. we would have to do three or four shows a day, and I don't think that there's enough beer on the planet to fuel (laughs) that kind of crime garage. So when we get a case with multiple suggestions, we fully take that into account. This being a, a major reason why we chose this case for tonight's show. Elisa Lamb is one of our most requested shows by far. It, I mean, it's up there with Jean-Benet Ramsey, Brandon Lawson, and a couple of others that I won't mention because we will be covering them very soon. Another big factor is does a particular... T- Case have enough information that we can discuss it for a full show. Yeah. Sometimes this is especially true with a lot of the smaller hometown type cases where the inve- investigation quickly went nowhere. You know, there's no suspects or a few leads. There's just not a whole lot of stuff to talk about. And while we're on the subject, I want to throw this out there as well. As far as suggesting a case to us, many, many of the cases suggested are great ideas However, this is rare, but it does happen on occasion. You know, maybe more like once a week we get some kind of suggestion that sounds something like this. And this is totally made up, but it's a good example. You know, the suggestion will read, I live in Taylortown, and back in the 90s there was this guy that went missing. And it was totally weird, and I think you'd love to do a show on it. Well, that that's not really something that we can. There's no information in in that suggestion. We can't really do much of that. Well, so. they gave
2: you a city, man, and they gave you a rough time. They gave you know, me they gave a decade it, to choose yeah, from. Yeah,
1: yeah. So do if, some
2: do some research, man.
1: So if you send in a suggestion, make sure you include you know a person that's yeah, involved a, in the case or their link, name. Yeah, you know? a link would be great. Link city, state. Those things mm-hmm. are all very helpful.
2: All right. So like with everything with this show, you know, if you donated to the beer fund, we appreciate it. We're a little behind on that. If you mention a case, you know, we we get a handful every day, so be patient. It's just two guys in a garage, and because of you and because of you spreading the word, this show has taken off. It's just out of, it's out of freaking control. I mean, we're top 10 in, on Stitcher. I mean, this thing is blowing up. I mean, so just be patient with us. We're, we're trying. And, and we both have drinking problems, so that doesn't help the business at all.
1: Well, and as we said, this case has been on our list for quite some time. It is, it is one of our most requested cases mm-hmm. uh, since we've been doing the show. Uh, and this is about Elisa Lamb. So January 26, 2013, 21-year-old Elisa Lamb. She's recognized as a University of British Columbia student. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was going on an international trip. She was calling this her West Coast tour. She would be traveling to California by herself. Uh, Her means of travel, she was using public transportation. She had traveled by way of Amtrak, and she was also taking buses as well. Uh, She intended to travel to several California cities before her trip concluded. She arrives in Los Angeles, California on the 26th. Mm -hmm. She then checks into the Cecil Hotel, which is in downtown Los Angeles, This is on January 28th. She is set to check out February 1st. During her travels, a regular habit that she was doing was she was calling or emailing, reaching out to her parents daily to kind of check in and let them know that she's doing fine and she's enjoying her trip. Mm -hmm. Well, the Cecil Hotel where Lisa was staying has has a long history as being a place of terrible happenings. Yeah, uh,
2: a little bit of a checkered past.
1: Yeah, yeah, very checkered. Uh, it certainly has a history of suicides and murder. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1931, the hotel experienced its first suicide. Um, after that, the hotel would see at least eight or nine more suicides that I could find reportings of. Mm-hmm. And a couple of strange deaths as well occurred in its history. Uh, there was certainly a murder or two. Uh, before Elisa's stay at the Cecil Hotel,
2: and this checkered past really adds to the folklore of the Elisa Lamb case.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go through all the the suicides. You know the bleakness of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there a couple of the strange deaths or, or possible murders that took place there. Uh, there, there's a story of a, of a woman who who gave birth at the hotel. Uh, she gives birth in, in one of the in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And she threw the newborn baby out the window. Yeah. Okay. Look,
2: before you say stuff like this, maybe you could give us a little bit of a warning. You know,
1: it's right on there. When you click on true crime garage, it warns you that that, you might hear something terrible
2: that at some point you might talk about a baby being thrown from a window. Well, She
1: she claimed that the baby was, was born uh, dead. And then they did an investigation and they Mm. quickly determined that they didn't think that that was the same thing. But before she could be convicted, Of of that murder, she was ruled to be not competent to stand trial.
2: And there was the one suicide where the lady jumped out of the window and she actually landed on somebody walking by and killed him as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we a bunch of suicides. But what I thought was interesting was that there was uh, two serial killers that actually stayed at the Hotel Cecil.
1: Yes. Yeah, we have uh, Richard Ramirez, uh, the, the famous Night Stalker from 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, he murdered uh, 14 people. He did live there during a portion of, of uh, his career, let's say, as a serial killer. But uh, some
2: of this folklore is kind of blown out of proportion, don't you
1: think? It's romanticized a little bit uh, because we have the situation uh, where Elizabeth Short, You know, the Mm -hmm. Black Dahlia, which we've discussed on our show. You know, there's rumor that that was the last place she stayed at before she was killed when actually we can't find any actual record of her having stayed there at all, let alone it being the last place she was seen or stayed before her death. So it does get a little romanticized with Richard Ramirez, kind of a similar situation. He did live there on and off for a Mm -hmm. period of time, but he also lived in like three or four other hotels Sometimes sleeping in his car, he was he he was a guy that moved around quite a bit, and he would typically stay at a place just for a night or so, um, depending on how much money he had stolen or or stolen objects that he had fenced that day, whatever he received as far as cash went.
2: Right, right, and I think a lot of people would go, well, how can somebody afford to stay at a hotel? Mm-hmm. Well, this hotel was broke up in like sections, so like the lower floors were pretty much like a normal hotel, mm-hmm. you know, a little more pricey. And then the top floors, they kind of used those as like pay by the day mm-hmm. type rooms. And they also had uh, rooms that they used for like youth hostels where you could just kind of stay in a collective group, you know, a bunch of strangers. But your room would be a lot cheaper.
1: And to give you an idea, back in the mid 80s when Ramirez would stay there, I believe he was typically only paying about 14 or 15 dollars a night mm-hmm. to stay there, which is, I mean, relatively cheap.
2: Just because the rooms are cheap doesn't mean that there's going to be all these tragic things that happen. but I think it's because the hotel Cecil was around for so long and it also had 600 rooms.
1: Yeah, and it, it's a very old hotel. It was it was built in 1924. Mm-hmm. It opened up shortly after that. So it's been around for a long time and it's in Los Angeles, you know, a popular place to travel to. Right. Um, so y- you got a high probability of seeing crazy things happen in this area. That's for sure. Um, and of course, you know, like in the 1950s, that area, that street in particular became pretty run down and it became known for drug users and transient lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, people that were kind of in and out. It was a, basically a seedy part of town.
2: And it's technically in downtown Los Angeles, but Los Angeles is a widespread town. So as a tourist, if you go there, there's there's just so many different parts, you mm-hmm. know, so of if your buddy says, well, I live downtown, then it's like, yeah, but which part of downtown?
1: And she could have been staying there for the for the cheap rent, or it could have just been for the, the convenience of being in downtown Los Angeles. When she first started off staying there, she was sharing a room. As you had mentioned, you can share some rooms. Right, like uh, a youth hostel. Yeah, and she shared a room with a couple of other people. I don't know that I could ever do that or feel comfortable doing that. Um, but she, that's what she did. And after a couple of days through complaints by these other people, mm-hmm. she's eventually moved to her
2: own room. Do you have any idea what these complaints were?
1: I would love to know specifically what they were, but we're hearing these third hand, you know, you're hearing these from, from the hotel workers that this was reported to. And so basically what is explained to them is that she was behaving strangely or they, mm-hmm. they found her to be weird or acting odd. And these people didn't want to share a room with her anymore. So not, not a great detailed description of how she was behaving or things she was doing or saying just that they didn't feel comfortable sharing a room with her.
2: And you mentioned earlier that she's recognized as a student.
1: Yes. She's recognized as a university of British Columbia student. However, technically at this point in time in 2013, She was not taking any classes. She was basically kind of on a break from Mm -hmm. school. Um, She had mentioned to people that uh, she had to drop classes because of her disorders, Mm -hmm. uh, that she was relapsing, and that this caused her not to be able to go to school.
2: This is actually a really hard case to cover because of the misinformation that's out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the crazy thing, Captain, is that this is such a widely reported story. You think it would be easy to come up with information? Mm-hmm. The problem being is that most of the reporting on this case are these kind of smaller web, you know, internet-based news. Uh, websites,
2: Kind of clickbait stuff.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them have an agenda. Some of them want to discuss paranormal activity or they want to talk about psychics and things like Mm -hmm. this and and, and things that aren't really true crime, uh, so (laughs) to speak.
2: Even though we've had some psychics on or we've talked about some psychic stuff, (laughs) we don't know how much we actually believe in that stuff.
1: I, I find it fascinating. I just don't know anything about it. Um, but you know, if you were to, if this were to be an unsolved mysteries type show, Mm -hmm. uh, this would be, you know, when you see that they play the creepy music and it says unexplained death, Mm -hmm. that's what this case would be. It's, it's an unexplained death. It's a, it's a girl that unfortunately was out on her own. She disappeared. And, and then we have this weird unexplained death afterwards.
2: Right. And like you said, this is. You know, you're a true crime dork. So, this doesn't right. really fall in your wheelhouse of. Not uh, at all. You know. and But let's go, let's talk a little bit about her mental state. Okay. I mean, like we said, that she was diagnosed bipolar. Uh, I have some experience with this. Uh, being diagnosed bipolar is a very tough thing for a therapist to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can treat you as bipolar, and basically, it takes years and years and years. But there's no like blood test. They can't take your blood and run it through some system and say, oh, we know for a fact that you have bipolar and we're going to treat you as such. Now, her list of medications that she's on are pretty extensive.
1: Yeah, she's on four different uh, types of prescriptions, and it looks that she had filled those prescriptions on January 11th of 2013, so just a few weeks before her trip, Mm -hmm. Uh, and she was found, her possessions that were found contained a lot of those prescriptions.
2: And if you look through this list, some of the stuff is kind of odd because it tells you the number of pills that were issued to her, mm-hmm. but it also says the number that was remaining in her possessions, mm-hmm. uh, when, once they found the possessions. The weird thing is that when she had the prescription filled, she had leftovers right. of other prescriptions. So we don't know how many that, we know how many that were, were issued, but we don't know how many she had remaining. So like for example, one of the pills, it was a mood stabilizer. I'm not going to try to even pronounce what it is. Oh, but
1: this isn't the fun part of the show where you and I butcher these. Uh, um,
2: yeah, I, we could, <laughs> I, I don't even know if we should attempt it. I think we, we looked them up and, and just to go over, one of the things was a mood stabilizer. She was issued 60 pills and the number remaining was 70. Mm-hmm. So obviously higher. So we should just assume that she had more. So it, it's just really tough to know because we don't know how many she had prior to this. Right. So we don't know if she was actually taking the medication.
1: And the prescriptions were basically, uh, there was one for ADHD, uh, a mood stabilizer. Yeah, it was,
2: well, the ADHD medicine is very similar to like um, Adderall.
1: Okay. There was a mood stabilizer as well as an antidepressant. Uh, and she did have some over-the-counter drugs in her possession as well. These being things like Advil, Sinutab, um, and they found, along with her possessions, they found a pill cutter, two pill cases, one divided pill case, five prescription receipts, and a personal medication history.
2: Right, so with the Adderall or the ADH medicine, you know, basically to stay focused, she had a medicine to stay focused. The other with the antidepressants, and again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going off of my own experience. Uh, the antidepressant is to bring your mood up higher, mm-hmm. right? To kind of get your baseline to be above depression, right? Mm-hmm. And then the mood stabilizer is kind of like a compressor. It takes all your lows and makes them higher, but it also takes all your highs and makes them lower. So it, it trying to keep you right in that middle, the sweet spot. A lot of people that take a mood stabilizer will have almost a zombie effect sometimes. Um, And that's something that as you're getting on this medicine, you have to kind of adapt and kind of see how your body reacts to different kinds, because obviously you don't want to go through your life, you know, especially like let's say they put you on lithium, you know, some people can are on lithium and they just feel like they're in a fog and just Nothing matters. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And people have poured through these, this information and looked through it and tried to decipher, you know, judging by the number of pills issued, judging by the number of pills remaining. Was she overdoing it? Was she not taking what she was mm-hmm. prescribed? It's you really can't tell because we don't know. There was nobody traveling with her. There's nobody to back up if she was staying on schedule with these medi- medications.
2: Yeah. And I, and I want to be very clear about this. I mean, mental health issues are something that I think this country needs to talk more openly about. Mm-hmm. And so in doing so, back in 2012, uh, I was actually being treated uh, for, well, it was, it was a kind of a messed up situation, but one of the things was I was having a lot of depression, almost, I would categorize it as maybe severe depression, um, instantly they started treating me for bipolar. Mm-hmm. So they put me on an antidepressant and they put me on a mood stabilizer. And this was without any therapy at all.
1: So wait, this is a physician. You, you know, mm-hmm. you go to a regular doctor and you're getting kind of diagnosed with this and, but, but ultimately treated for this.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, not to go into it too much and just, uh I mean, we, we've talked in the past about mental health and we I always get these comments oh you know thanks for bringing this up and it's so important and well it's important to me because I mean I was I was suicidal so I was that's all I could think about and it wasn't that I was actually it wasn't to the point where I thought I was going to try to end my life it was just everything was so bleak and it just felt like I couldn't get out of mm-hmm. this depression I was in and so I actually tre- uh, went to like a, a net care, I think it's what it's called. And you, I met with the therapist there and they kinda assessed me, sent me to my physician and boom, I'm on an on antidepressant and on a mood stabilizer. Okay. Uh, so now, <laughs> you know, then I'm going, okay, well maybe this is gonna fix everything. Um, it, it didn't uh, and it actually got way worse but in the process i mean for me and i was on this stuff on and off this stuff for years and it was it's really it, you kind of establishing a new relationship with yourself so i'd have these pills some days i would take them some days i wouldn't some sometimes it would seem like they were working sometimes it seemed like it was making things worse right so a long story short you know I'm not a doctor, but when looking at this case, I'm viewing it as somebody that has been treated myself and somebody that has been dealing with some of the same issues that Elisa has been dealing with
1: Well, and or what, was dealing with. What that gives me a little insight towards is it's not the, you know, the mental health and the way that we treat it is not the exact same thing as physical health and how we treat that. You know, if somebody mm-hmm. has has high blood pressure, well, we can put you on this, medication and it should regulate that blood pressure after X amount of days. Um, Where with a mental health situation, we, would you, would you disagree with me? It's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And, and where some things might work for some people, they're not going to work for others. Mm -hmm. Now we have this situation where we have a person out on their own and we cannot figure out, is she keeping up with that medication uh, was she overdoing it, underdoing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, were there other things that that are factoring in?
2: Well, and yeah, and was she being responsible on that medication? I was on a mood stabilizer called Um uh, and I was told by uh, I was told by some physicians that if you drink on it, I mean, it could, you could just actually die mm. from it. Uh, then I actually heard from my therapist that you know one or two beers wouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, cause think about it this way. I mean, you're, you know, I, you know, I had a house, so I'd like to grill out stuff like that. And, uh, and, you know, what do you want to do when you're grilling out? Have a beer, of course, you know? And so when somebody's saying, well, if you drink, you might die. Um, the, I had a very negative effect when, when I drank. I almost would hallucinate like I'd get to this almost, um, uh, I've never done LSD or anything like that but it was okay. almost to this like trippy state. Mm-hmm. And so looking at this case again that makes me question was she taking her drugs properly? And and if she was, she was still having lapses. We know that she was having, you know, some issues because of the school stuff. Mm-hmm. And then was when she was out on her own maybe she would drink and, and how would that affect her? And it affects everybody differently. Yeah. Because if you then, you know, for me, I did the research. Some people that were taking Depico would could drink a couple beers and be fine. Right. Or even drink liquor and be fine. And I just found that once I took one drink, I almost became like a crackhead. Hmm. Like as far as like I wanted, an, all I could think about was getting the next drink and then get the next drink and get the well, next drink.
1: And that, that's that been the biggest question mark for me regarding this case when I first looked at it was I wanted to know how the, these, these medications would affect what's going on with her internally. I wanted to know because she is on vacation. She's on her West Coast tour. Was she drinking and partying during this time? And was she trying to back off of medication to drink? Mm-hmm. Or was she maintaining that – that medication and drinking on top of it and thus having a different effect.
2: Right. And that's something we probably will never know. Uh, But let's get right back into the story after this quick beer break.
1: while your subscription is active.
2: All right, we're back, everybody. Cheers.
1: Cheers. So, we have Elisa Lamb, who is out traveling the U.S. She's in California all by herself, and we know that she has these Uh, bipolar disorder and she's on medication for some different things. Mm -hmm. She checks into the Cecil hotel. She's there for a couple days. She's moved to a room by herself. And then on January 31st, complaints, right? Right. Uh, on January 31st, Elisa lamb is last spotted by a hotel worker at the Cecil hotel. Mm -hmm. Uh, this would be, she's last seen in the lobby of the Cecil hotel. Um, and remind you, she has been contacting her family up to this point. Uh, this is where the contact stops, though. Mm-hmm. On February 1st, the following day, was the day that uh, that Lam was supposed to check out from the hotel. Now, she did not actually check out. And this is what sparks the, uh, the search for Elisa.
2: Yeah, and because she's not contacting her family either, her family's going to fly down to be in LA to help the hotel search for their daughter.
1: Yeah. Breaking communication was something that was, that really worried the police as well as her family.
2: Because one of the things, I mean, she was in her early twenties and she's Mm -hmm. traveling by herself and maybe the parents said, Hey, you can go. But you're going to have to be in constant contact with us,
1: right? Right, and you would want to be. I mean, it's a it's a foreign land. You know, it's another country. Well,
2: I wouldn't want to be. I'm just (laughs) traveling. I'm probably traveling to get away from my family.
1: Uh, So the police and the family are working together to try to find Elisa. Now, now think about this. So, Captain, she could Mm -hmm. be anywhere. She's in this big giant city, and in in a big giant hotel. First of all, so they're going to have to start their search. At the hotel. Where was she last seen? Well, we know she was last seen in the lobby and they actually go to her room. They search her room and her belongings. They do a, what what one would consider a thorough search of the hotel mm-hmm. as much as they actually can. You have to keep in mind here. Um, this is not yet a situation where they believe that they they can go and search every room at this hotel. We're talking about, they have like 600 rooms here. Right. Uh, and plus you, you have all these back hallways. You're going to have all these service areas of the hotels where yeah, but they this can is pull, not an easy search.
2: Right, but they can pull surveillance footage right away.
1: Yeah. So what what ends up happening is they search her room. They mm-hmm. They can't go room to room. We have people that are basically living in this hotel. Some yeah. people are staying there for a trip. Some people are staying there on an extended stay. There are people that have lived in this hotel for years. Mm-hmm. Um, they do check all the common areas and they, this, the search itself provides no leads to the whereabouts of Elisa. It provides also no leads or no hints of foul play mm-hmm. on February 6th and February 7th of 2013, the LAPD, they start to release to the public details about the suspicious disappearance of of Elisa Lam. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hold a press conference during this time. This is when you start to see on on the news footage as well that they are putting up posters calling for action. They're putting her face out there trying to get people to, you know, come forward if they've seen her or know of her whereabouts.
2: I know a lot of people wonder why the heck would uh, LAPD, you know, make such a big deal about this girl going missing. There's probably a lot of missing persons cases you know, presented to the public during this time. Mm -hmm. But one of the major reasons is it's, you know, she is not from the United States. Right. And so that becomes a little bit bigger of a deal.
1: And the missing persons alert that is sent out by LAPD, it, like I said, it includes her picture. This is important to LAPD as her family, because there are certain things about this disappearance that have not been fully released to the public at this time. Mm -hmm. One of those being that she does have this bipolar disorder. Um, I'm thinking here, captain, that the investigators as well as the family are wondering, is, has this led to her disappearance? And therefore we need to put her picture out there because if, if she's, if something's happened to maybe she doesn't know where she is.
2: Right. Because she could be in a manic, a manic state. And right. if She's in a manic state. Then who knows? She, she is maybe not capable of getting back or being in contact with them on her own.
1: Yeah, so they the, the details that they list are basically, you know, a general description of her, mm-hmm. you know, a, as well as where she was last seen. That's at the Cecil Hotel, 640 South Main Street in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, their, their additional information simply just states that possibly suffers from mild depression. Mm-hmm. They also include where she was traveling from and her means of travel. Again, that's public transportation using Amtrak and buses, you know, Mm -hmm. hoping that maybe if she ended up back using buses that she would be spotted there, as well as stating the cities in which she intends to go to.
2: And this leads us up to February 14th, where the LAPD is going to actually release the surveillance footage, the famous surveillance footage.
1: Yeah, we have. This is the very famous surveillance footage. Mm -hmm. This is taken at eight thirty-one a.m. on February first, the day that she is supposed to be checking out of the hotel. Now, here's what the claim is, which is very strange to me, Captain. Is that we fishy? Yeah, we have the footage that's taken place in the elevator itself, but there's no other. Surveillance footage to go along with it, you know, there we don't have footage from the hallways or from any of the other common spaces in this hotel.
2: Yeah, and nothing from the entrance as well. To me, I just find that very fishy. And obviously we have lawsuits in this case. So, you know, one could assume that are they hiding these things?
1: Well, you should find it fishy. And I'll tell you why. So the deal is they had other cameras. Their claim is that these cameras were either not working or not working to the point that they were recording anything. Um, Having a background in this, I can tell you that this would, this really... Well, what's your background? Uh, Because most people wouldn't know. Okay, so I was a security administrator for a high-rise building in downtown Columbus, Ohio for several years. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, the building that I worked at was built in 1999. So it's very different from a building built and constructed in the 1920s. Right.
2: Um, Right. But as technology advances, then people put in new cameras and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. We had just to keep things short, we had Mm -hmm. just under a hundred cameras throughout this building. It was, it had 27 stores, uh, 27 floors, Mm -hmm. as well as a rooftop. Um, we had four elevators. It's my understanding that the Cecil hotel has two elevators. um, we would have had a camera in any of those common areas meaning any place that you could step off of the elevator there would be a camera that would go and coincide with one that would be in the elevator as well right now the thing here is we would conduct you know we would routine security checks of everything these cameras were being monitored at our front desk we right. we had six different monitors Uh, two of them were scrolling monitors where they would bounce from camera to camera on the same cycle. Uh, The other four were actual monitors where you could uh, pick which camera you chose to watch and or a multi view. And you could also move and manipulate those cameras to see certain things and, and point the camera in different directions. We were recording on those monitors So what that means is that if something was not present on the monitor or at that time, it was not being recorded. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we were only recording what was being monitored. Now, I currently work in a different building that is under a different situation. This security system is constantly recording. Mm -hmm. It's always recording out of every camera, whether it's being monitored or not. Now, what it does so that you don't have millions and millions and hours of recording what it does is it's set up to detect motion Mm -hmm. and so it will only save portions of what was recorded by by setting it to like you know 10 seconds before it sees a motion it will record everything until 10 seconds after it doesn't detect a motion again
2: well actually maybe we are perfect to diagnose this case because you were a security guard or a mm-hmm. security administrator?
1: Yes, I was in charge of all of the security.
2: And, and I suffered with a mental illness. So I think we're perfect for this case.
1: <laughs> um, so here, here's my caveat to everybody listening. Mm-hmm. Now, while I would be considered an expert on those two security systems every security system is very different. Right. And I'm guessing that the one at the Cecil hotel is probably not much like either of the two more modern security systems that I was running. The problems I have that I see from the get go are that one, I don't believe that this is a hotel that is conducting routine security checks, right? Uh, because you have faulty equipment and they've decided that having faulty equipment is fine with them that becomes a budget issue. They know that these cameras are not working. It's not that something bad happened one day and they just discovered these cameras aren't working. They willingly ran the hotel without these cameras working. Now, did did they not have the budget to fund this? We don't know. But, but right. their thought was, they were saying was that, you know what, we have these cameras, the physical camera itself, whether it be working or not, they're posted in these different positions. So people therefore in the hotel and walking amongst the floors of the hotel believe that they are being filmed or being watched. Well, so they, they will they, conduct themselves as appropriate. Well,
2: and they are being watched, right? So, I mean, uh, in the defense of the hotel, you have security guards there. You have people monitoring the whole hotel. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they don't have any obligation to, you know, uh, film everything and house everything right you know their the, their main job is to prevent anything from happening mm-hmm. you know and then and then the second would be if something does happen to record it but it's just odd to me that we have a recording a famous recording inside the elevator but nothing outside nothing in the because it would be it would be really interesting to watch this video and watch it from the inside and the outside hmm. because there's times that she steps off the screen and you kind of can't see what she was she's doing but if if we had footage of inside the lobby we would know what she was doing
1: the thing i wanted to make sure that we pointed out here captain is that this video footage uh, according to los angeles news departments. Okay. It's listed as this footage being taken at eight 31 AM on February 1st. The reason why I wanted to be very clear about that is that because every, every bit of this footage that I've seen online, the the timestamp is like, you cannot see it. You Mm -hmm. cannot tell what time it states on there. Uh, There's even been people that have reported that you cannot see the time and kind of guessed. Was it one in the morning you know, what? at what time did this video footage take place? I just wanted to point out that it's been reported in Los Angeles as 8.31 a.m. Now, mind you, my other caveat there would be we don't know how accurate. We've seen how faulty their security camera system is already. We don't know how accurate that time stamp would be. But it gives us something. It gives us a bit of a place marker to work around.
2: And there's a lot of speculation that there, this tape is actually altered. And there, I see maybe some evidence of that. But, anyways, let's just get right into it. Let's just do a play by play of this video. All right. So, I'm starting the video now. It is rolling. The door is opening. Lisa enters from the left, goes, she dips down. She starts pushing. It looks like every button on the left hand side. Mm -hmm. They all light up. She steps back, goes to the corner. She's now hanging out in the corner for a little bit and then she's kind of creeping around the side then she jumps out and she kind of pokes her head to the right to the left. Now she steps away and now she's against the wall. Now she goes into the
1: corner back against the wall like right up against it and then right into the corner.
2: Now she's stepping around the corner and she looks out to her right kind of creepy like
1: this where, is- where like her body's Pretty much in the doorway, but the but she's tilting her head out to look into the hallway.
2: And she steps out with her right foot. She looks to her left, jumps out. She takes a side step back. So it's, it's almost like she's doing the cupid shuffle or something.
1: Yeah. So she just went to her left and then now went she, back into the elevator, then back out again.
2: Now she's in the hallway. You can see her right arm, but that's about it.
1: And right now, she's standing where the elevator buttons would be in the hallway.
2: And she's waving something, but her back is still against the wall.
1: Yeah, it looks like her arm is up. Her right arm is up. Her back Mm -hmm. is to us. And it looks like she's messing with her hair.
2: Yeah, now she comes in, and she starts pushing all the buttons. Her left hand, right hand, she's pushing everything.
1: Twice. Twice.
2: This is a lot more disturbing than the first time I watched it. This is probably so thrilling for the listeners. Now she keeps, I mean, she's just pushing buttons. Now she steps out, almost uh, fixes her hair, but almost like she's kind of distraught. Like, what the hell is going on here? She's in the hallway again. Now she's waving her hands, like, kind of in. It's, yeah. it's Very, now she almost looks like she's doing some weird dance move. And now she's doing something with her fingers. Almost like she's dancing with her fingers. This is way more disturbing than the first time I watched it.
1: Her arms are up again, and now, now she's, she she's walks out down the hallway. Yeah,
2: you can't see her. Mm. Nothing. Just cannot see her at all. Hmm. She doesn't you yeah she's not in frame anymore. She
1: doesn't come back into frame and now the elevator door closes.
2: Yeah. And that that clip you can find it online. It's about uh roughly about 4 minutes, but she's pretty much only in the video for about 3 minutes of that whole clip.
1: Well, and after the elevator door closes, then we see the elevator doing what you exactly would think it would do. It starts going to the floors of the buttons that she has pushed and it's opening on each floor. And you can tell that these floors are different because when the door opens each time, the, the, the decor is slightly different. You might mm-hmm. see different paint on the walls or a different uh, floor tile as it goes through these different floors.
2: All right, so this definitely is some creepy footage. And if you haven't watched it, you should go do so now. And I'll actually probably just take that footage and put it up on our website at truecrimegarage.com. What's your takeaway from this? This is the first time we watched it together.
1: Yeah, so my, my initial thoughts... Um, when I, when I had watched it by myself, the first time seeing it, it looked to me when she goes into the elevator after pressing all the buttons Mm -hmm. and then she goes right up against the wall. Like that's a move that you would do if you were like hiding from somebody. Yeah. And then she furthers that by going into the corner. Like maybe the person's getting closer or she's more fearful and she's hiding even slightly. Yeah, But that's more.
2: not initially initially. She doesn't do that. Right. There's a couple of movements before she goes against the wall and then goes into the corner.
1: Right. Right. And what I'm saying mm-hmm. is she goes in, she presses multiple buttons. Mm-hmm. She looks very relaxed at that point. Yes. And then until she goes right up against that wall again, my initial thought there was she's hiding from somebody, mm-hmm. but then she kind of like, I don't know if she comes to or what, but then she decides to step off of the elevator. Right now. One key thing to me was the corner that she's hiding in is opposite of where the, the buttons for the elevator call buttons, what you would call the call buttons, which would be the buttons in the hallway Mm -hmm. there. It's the opposite side. And so to me, I, I had always wondered, you know, when she's hiding from somebody, your first thought too, is why are these elevator doors not closing? Immediately, mm-hmm. You know, um, I will say that, that all elevators do act differently from one another. They're finicky. They're yeah. extremely finicky. Um, and what you can do on an elevator, you can easily confuse an elevator mm-hmm. and what an elevator will do as a security precaution that if you override the system by hitting a bunch of buttons or hitting things in a weird sequence, right? It's natural state is to want to, to default to a safety mode where therefore keeping the doors open is technically a safety mode for most elevators mm-hmm. being that it allows people to exit if they need to, and it prevents the elevator itself from operating. So where, where some people might say that, well, the, the building's haunted and the elevator's not closing because she's running from something that's taking control of the building or taking control of the elevator. I, I don't think the door's not closing you know, right. is any evidence of that. I think I think she's in an old elevator. She's given it too many commands, and it's just hesitating to close.
2: Yeah, so my stance on paranormal stuff is there's definitely some stuff that I've experienced or some stories I've heard from people that I can't explain, but I wouldn't say that I'm somebody that normally dives into that or believes into that a lot. And then in this situation. I I don't think there's some paranormal activity happening.
1: Yeah. The only time that that the paranormal activity made me question was when she, when she's doing those weird hand movements, when she's like outside of the, the elevator. Mm -hmm. And you know, some people have said it, it looks like she's almost casting a spell or, you know, doing something like that, like, you know, um, that's (laughs) sorry. That's your, your spell casting sound. Okay. Um, but, but to me, it more looks like she it almost looks like somebody talking with their hands a little bit more rather than than casting a spell.
2: Is right. That, and then, then people would wonder, is she talking to somebody outside of the elevator? Mm-hmm.
1: I did have a thought that the reason why the elevator doors might not be closing is that somebody's standing outside in the hallway hitting the call button, which mm-hmm. would prevent the elevator door from closing. However, with her hiding in that particular corner, she would be more visible to that person given the angle of those call buttons. You know what I mean? Like if that was in fact, what was going on. Yeah. My
2: initial takeaway from this. And like I said, then watching it back, it's like, seems a lot creepier than it initially did when I first watched it. Because when I first watched it, you see her push the buttons, all the buttons, which is odd. And it's like, well, one of the things I kind of thought was, you know, Uh, My family used to stay at like the Holiday Inn, you know, Mm -hmm. hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. Inn. And uh, it was (laughs) was about like 30 minutes from our house. But for some reason, it was like, hey, we're going to go stay in a hotel. And we'd get a, you know, swim in the pool and stuff like that. But sometimes when you have other kids around, you'd start playing like tag. Right. But you would be using the elevators. Of course. And so you jump on the elevators, you push all the buttons. so was she playing some... Uh, you know, some elevator game of tag with somebody, but that doesn't seem likely because one people booted her out of a room because she was acting odd. Uh, Two, she's also a lot older. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem like that's something that she would even be that interested in doing. If somebody asked
1: by herself. So we, we should, you know what I mean? You would assume you play an elevator tag game. You're, you're doing that with people that, you know, Um,
2: yeah, hopefully she's not playing an elevator, elevator tag game by herself.
1: My, my initial thoughts were that that she was afraid of something she's trying to hide. And then once she gets back into the hallway that she's seeing something that maybe she doesn't think is real. And that's why she's moving Mm -hmm. her hands in a weird way. When I, when I take a step back and I, and I view it a second time and I think about I, I try to put myself into her sandals, right? Mm-hmm. So my thoughts are, are a couple things, right? So if there were something, some entity or some ghost or something that you think that you saw or that you saw and you're afraid of, what would my natural instinct be? Well, in any situation, it's going to be fight or flight. Mm-hmm. But if you're seeing something that you don't know is real, or you're seeing something that you're terrified of, that, that doesn't seem like it should be real. My first thought, thought would be flight to, to somewhere where I know people are. Right. And so being that I wouldn't hop into an elevator and press every button to try to escape a ghost. Mm -hmm. I would go straight to the lobby where I know there's going to be other people. Right. That would be my initial reaction to the paranormal type stuff. Now, if, if she's actually afraid of a a real person, then the other problem becomes, well, why would you push every single button? You know, it, it, that again doesn't make sense,
2: right? And I, I think what we have here is first when she's getting on the elevator, she she's walking in a very calm demeanor, mm-hmm. and then her next handful of actions, um, are still pretty calm. Like she steps to the side, you know, being polite. I'm going to go in this corner. The door is not shutting, probably because you pushed every button on the left hand mm-hmm. side. The first, rea- uh, the first. Uh, movement that she makes that is very odd is when she kind of sticks her head out and looks to the right and looks to the left and that's very odd, but maybe she's also just a shy person and she's concerned that she doesn't want to look like a dummy or maybe she's doing something kind of goofy by pushing all the, you know, I'm going to go to every floor just to go to every floor. Maybe she's bored and just trying to find somebody to talk to or, and, and so she doesn't want to look dumb, but then the next movement was against the wall she stays there for a second back against the wall. And then she goes in the corner. Now a lot of people speculate that's when she's hiding from somebody. I would, you know, if you have not watched this video, I'll just say, go watch the video now. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, tamper with anybody's ideas. I don't want to put ideas into other people's heads. So do that now. So my thought is it's pretty simple. She's going against the wall because she's trying to have the sense it she's thinking the door's not shutting because the motion sensor right mm-hmm. so i'm going to go against the wall so maybe that the sensor will close the door and when she goes against the wall it doesn't work so then she goes to the corner okay and then she walks out again and again she's not rushing she's not running she's very seems pretty calm and then that's when she starts making those weird hocus pocus motions and I can't really explain those. A lot of people say, well, maybe she was in the club. So maybe she was like doing some weird club dance move. And I, I made the joke that she looked like she was doing the Cupid Shuffle. Again, those move- movements to me, some of them seem like she's trying to trip some sensor. Even when she starts, she's doing the hocus pocus, uh, I can't even talk today, hocus pocus type motions. But when she starts doing those within like the doorway of the elevator to me, that's to trip some kind of sensor.
1: Right. Right. I agree. And that the part that you were describing earlier, which is the part that I think really kind of terrifies people. The first time they see it is where we see her, what I would call jump into the hallway. Uh Uh, And the way you described it had people not seen it before might be a little confusing on how this actually plays out. She's making very casual movements up into this point. And then she very quickly throws her right leg, her right knee forward.
2: And she's doing a lunge.
1: Yeah. And she quickly puts her head down almost at waist level and looks to her right. And then very quickly looks to her left.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like boom, boom, boom.
1: And then she retreats again into the elevator, which, Mm -hmm. which makes it does make it seem like, well, she's looking for somebody that might be coming down the hallway on either side. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's might've been chased to this point to where she, she doesn't know fully know where this person could come from.
2: And, and then I start questioning though, if there's somebody outside, did she meet somebody while she's in LA? Uh, like we said, we, she was moved from one room to another. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like she's having a bunch of communication with other travelers. Right, um, Or maybe she was acting odd and there was somebody from the hotel out there.
1: Yeah, and that's been an argument that people have put forward that maybe she wouldn't go to, you know, when I said I would flight to the lobby where I know other people are, the argument would be then be, well, if she's hiding from somebody that works at the hotel, uh, that that might not be her first option. She mm-hmm. might not want to go to the lobby. Yeah, The thing I see here, though, Captain, is that I don't see while I see, you know, some quick movements on her part. Right. I don't really see anybody that appears to be in any hurry to go anywhere.
2: Yeah. I mean, three minutes. She's at least three minutes of the film. She's in or around the elevator.
1: I've also go ahead. Well, I was
2: just going to say that it's one of those things. Every time we dive into a case, uh, it always seems like there's one or two things that I wish we had Mm -hmm. because you know, if we had those, we'd have more answers. And I really think if we had some kind of footage from the lobby, because there's so much of the, you see her in frame, but you might only see her arm Mm -hmm. again. What is she just doing? Is she just standing out there just sitting patiently? And maybe she was, you know, got off the elevator. I'm just going to stand here and the door will eventually close, but it didn't. So then she jumps back in. It's, um, I don't know.
1: She appears to me to be stalling the elevator. That's really what I think when I, when i when I see her get in and hit every button that, that to me tells me that she's trying to hold up that elevator for some reason. And maybe, maybe not even just to keep it at that floor, but to stall it from wherever it may be get, getting called from. Uh, I have heard. Yeah,
2: right. But if you're going to stall it, you just go in there and push door open. Right. I, I wouldn't think that the, the lay person would go in knowing that if I push all the buttons, that it's going to stall out the elevator. I don't think that was her
1: intent. The The reason why I say that though, is I see other evidence of her, what I would say stalling the elevator where, where she's using other means of that, where, where she's standing with her body in the elevator and peering out into the hallway. Um, mm-hmm. that to me is, is stopping that door from closing. That's, that's keeping that motion sensor alive and it's not allowing the door to close. Yeah, then once that, she's
2: right, but that doesn't make any sense with the the you know the second and third motion of her going against the wall and then going in the corner. That wouldn't be a a, a mechanism that you'd use to stall the elevator, right?
1: No, it wouldn't be my first go to. I right. but what I'm saying is, I see I see three things in that video that look to me like somebody stalling the elevator, mm-hmm. and and one is pushing all the buttons, and and you're right, maybe she doesn't. No, or most people wouldn't know that that could potentially stall the elevator two she's obstructing the door from closing more than once even with those weird hand movements she's she's breaking that, that sensor and keeping that door open even longer mm-hmm. and then when we do see her and we know that she's still next to the elevator when we can see her arm but not her body she's where the call buttons would be in the hallway where one could push those buttons or hold those buttons down keeping that elevator door open as well. Mm -hmm. I know that none of them are definitive things of a person trying to stall the elevator. I'm just going off of the fact that I see three, what could be attempts of stalling this elevator.
2: Well, and you, you know, with your experience, I mean, you've watched probably thousands and thousands of hours of surveillance footage.
1: Well, and having a really good knowledge of, of (laughs) uh, drinking
2: your beer, it's Gatorade.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, now, having a really good working knowledge of, of Wait, the is elevators.
2: You, is that what you call beer?
1: Yeah, it's my energy fuel for the show.
2: It has your electrolytes in it.
1: I do want to point out something as we're discussing these elevators, though. Again, they're very finicky machines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't... That was
2: my nickname in high school, finicky machine.
1: Don't play on the elevators. That that's not, that's not a good thing. They will close on you, even though they're not supposed to. They will behave in strange ways. Mm. Um, I don't want anybody, you know... Nobody needs to lose an arm off of playing elevator tag. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I've given my kind of, you know, initial thoughts and then a a step back and and make another assessment of the video. But I don't think I got your. Well, well, summarize yours. So so mine, of course, the first initial thoughts was she's hiding from somebody and Mm -hmm. something strange is, is going on. Then at second look, my thought is that she's stalling the elevator that she's being disruptive to the operations of the hotel for some reason, like kind of a, I don't know. I feel, I feel like there's a little bit of a, of a little like aggressiveness in her that, that she's upset with the hotel or in, and, mm-hmm. and, and wants to just, disturb other people's visit by, by holding up the elevator or making it stop at every floor for no reason. You know what I mean? It seems like a very childish thing to do. Remember, remember when you're a kid, the first time you stay in, well, maybe everybody didn't do this, but the first time I remember (laughs) staying in a high rise building, right? I thought it was, funny to jump into the elevator, press every single button, and then I would jump off of it and not even need to take it anywhere. It was just funny to me that I knew, well, it's going to stop at every floor. And you know that there's somebody on one of those floors going, God, this elevator takes forever. (laughs) Um, You know, and then, you, you know, but you're 10 and it's funny to you. Right. now I'm not I'm not saying anything <laughs> it's still funny now and it it's still kind of funny but you see what I mean i get, I get the feeling like she's being disruptive for some reason like maybe mm-hmm. maybe she's angry that she got moved to another room maybe she's upset with those other guests thinking well these people are rude and they 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 went to the the to the front desk and complained about me and now I'm in my own room
2: yeah um yeah because I mean let, let's that's the thing. I mean, she might have been trying to be friendly with these other travelers. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people pick on other people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe she was acting a little strange. Uh, sometimes you need to take the strange and the and the weird because sometimes that's a strange and weird can be beautiful. And you take those people under your wings and become friends with them. And, and I think, you know, one, we should all do a better job of trying to be inclusive to right. people. You know, because people need other people. And also, you know, it goes to the point that, you know, these travelers probably didn't know that she was dealing with something. Right. And probably looking back on this now, when they go, oh, yeah, we were the people that complained on her. And yeah. maybe this wouldn't have happened if we were just more, again, open to people's differences and try to be inclusive or just try to be understanding. And so I understand that her idea might have been. You know, personally to me, I'd go. I'm in a youth hostel situation where I'm with a bunch of other people, and you want to give me my own room. So, so these people stay is better to me. I'm all for it. Upgrade my room, give me a king size bed, and you know, put a bunch of little liquor bottles in the fridge and uh, put that on the house. And yeah, call you day. you
1: you feel like going from being living in it a petting zoo to being a fat cat in the sky.
2: Yeah, give me a. I want to be a fat cat in the sky, and but maybe. It just rubbed her the wrong way, you know?
1: Well, and here's one thing I wondered about that situation, Captain. So if if you're at the front desk and uh-huh. somebody complains, you know, we got this person that's behaving strangely. And then your response is going to be, yeah, you're in a shared room. You know, right. there's all different walks of life in there. Um, you're in a shared room. That's what you paid for. Well, then a second person from the same room comes down and complains about the, sec- the same person. Right. Then that person, of course, you're going to... That complaint is now justified, and you're going to move that other person to keep these two people happy. I wonder... To me, I wonder if she wasn't behaving strangely at all. Is mm-hmm. there a possibility that the two people in the room already that complain about her, do they know one another? Do Were they hoping that... Oh, well... We'll share a room at this discounted rate because we can say other people can stay here. And if they put anybody in here, we'll just complain about it. You and I have flown on planes together. And Mm -hmm. what's the thing that we usually do when they have three seats in a row and it's just the two of us? You sit on one side. I sit on the other side. We leave the middle seat empty. And then we give the nasty stare down to everybody that walks down the aisle so they don't want to sit between two garage dudes. Mm -hmm. And it usually works.
2: Yeah, or, or once they sit down, we start complaining about them. Belching. So that, right, so they have to move them. Like, can you move? This can guy's you? kind of being a jerk.
1: That's right. He's got hairy arms.
2: Yeah, so, well, maybe these people were just going, hey, let's uh, let's just complain, because if we complain, then we'll just get an upgrade. Mm-hmm. I, got, I, you know, I have friends that will get a hotel room, and then they instantly, nothing's wrong with it, they just call in and go, the room doesn't look so clean. Because they know that they're going to get an upgrade.
1: Being a DB just to get the, the upgrade mm-hmm. for no reason. Being a jack wagon. The old JW. <laughs>
2: old DB and the JW.
1: Yeah, so I to me, Captain, I see somebody that looks like they're stalling the elevator for what purpose, I don't know. But what it does tell me, if I'm right, um, and not saying that I am, mm-hmm. but if one's trying to stall the elevator, then that thro- that shows me she's not running from something that or just, someone.
2: That doesn't make a lot of sense Go here. For it. I mean, to me, it seems like you're trying to play who can be the dumbest guy in the room game and you're winning. Um, but because it doesn't make any sense to me because if you're just trying to stall the elevator and you don't want to ride on the elevator, mm-hmm. then why are you staying on the elevator? She stays on the elevator for a good minute of that clip. Right. That's why I'm saying it doesn't make a lot of sense
1: to me. I, it would still stop at every floor. I, I, what I'm saying is I don't believe she's trying to stall the elevator from leaving that floor. I think she's just trying to be disruptive okay. and stall the elevator in any form or fashion she can think of. Now,
2: go Right, not really. Stall might not be the right word, but basically to possibly inconvenience others. You're exactly right. All right. So I think, yeah, so you just picked a really shitty word. You need, <laughs> you need to work on that. Um, I see that. And that would make sense because the thing that doesn't make any sense to me. And when she comes into the elevator, she bends down almost as, she, as if she's having a hard time
1: seeing the buttons. Like, because she does go one hand on the knee and puts her face very close to the button.
2: I mean, she, yeah. And she almost goes to 98. You know, ninety degree angle bend. Mm-hmm. You know, to see these buttons, and then she ends up just pushing what looks like to me all the buttons on the left side, which makes zero sense, Um, unless. But look, we've all had those times where we're staying somewhere, and you know, I've traveled, you know, with music and stuff, where I've been in one hotel one night, next night different hotel, next night, and I get in, I go, oh, I am on floor three. And you're ah, not. shit, four. Ah, shit, no, it's five. But it doesn't look like that because it's blah 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 blah. So I don't I I don't know why she's hitting every button. So the stall thing makes sense, but you know my thought is when she is backing away, it's and going against the wall and going in the corner. It's not to hide from somebody or hide from some paranormal uh, entity. It's to get the sensor to realize that it's time to close the door okay. and move on. Uh, a lot of those movements, I can't, I can't explain. I can't explain the whole cupid shuffle, and I can't. Well,
1: explain. and most people can't, and that's why the the footage is so fascinating.
2: Yeah, and I've never, uh, like I said, I was treated, you know, for bipolar. That's what they started treating me for. I was never diagnosed with bipolar. Um, I never had a manic episode. I've had friends that have had manic episodes. Uh, some of them could remember small details of the manic episodes, uh, but they couldn't remember the full situation. Uh, I worked with a singer songwriter one time that she went missing for a couple weeks. We didn't know where she was. She wasn't showing up for the session. She had booked and she had an episode and she ended up she was arrested. And then once they realized that she was just off her medication, uh, she was released and she told us, I don't really remember why I was down at the state house. I was convinced though that somebody was going to harm somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't remember much of the details, but she remembers certain parts of the event. But again, here, at least doesn't look like she's acting. I mean, other than a couple weird, it's almost like normal movement, normal movement. Oh, that's weird. Normal movement, normal m- movement. For 70, oh, that's super weird.
1: 75 or 80% of the video, she's moving very casually to
2: Yeah. Me. Uh, so, those are our, our initial thoughts and kind of our summarized thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, maybe she's trying to stall it. Maybe she's trying to inconvenience the hotel. We don't think that there's anything going on paranormal that we can tell. I mean, like, again, I mean, it's not like we have video footage of the, the hallway and there's like, right. you know, some ghosts, you know, the ghost buster guy, Slimer. Whatever. Slimer. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of our thoughts. And now we have tomorrow, you know, because there's no way we're going to finish all this because we have a lot of theories. I'm surprised
1: that we have so much more to get to. Um, you know, we, we have to talk about the rooftop. We have to talk about the body being found. We have mm-hmm. to talk about the autopsy. We have theories, Tumblr. It goes on and on and on.
2: Yeah. We're kind of long winded today, but I think it's good. I mean, I wanted to give a. know a little bit of your background as you know being a security administrator and all that stuff and uh and yeah i mean i kind of opened up uh, the floodgates of personal life Mm
1: -hmm. you opened up the garage door and exposed yourself i
2: I sat down in the chair and i told no the the reason for doing that was because i think it is a sensitive issue especially in this case and i know Mm -hmm. we brought it up multiple times and uh I think it's something that we should be sensitive about, but it's something that we should be open and also honest about. Cause maybe by me saying, Hey, look, I've dealt with it. I've, I've been on prescription pills before. I've seen a therapist. I've tried to work out some of the stuff that was going on in my head and then in my heart, however you want to view that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not the easiest thing to talk about. And sometimes, um, it gets a little emotional because I, I feel like I'm in a better place now. And so to think back on the, the really hard or dark times is not the best. And I don't need a bunch of people sending me comments saying, oh, thank thank you so much. I'm, I'm not trying to be a champion uh, for mental health. I think it's something that we all can do. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Just be open, honest, uh, let people in, be kind to people. right? Understand that people are walking different paths than you are. There's someday, look, even if you're not diagnosed with, you know, some kind of mental, you know, we all have disorder. good days and bad days. Good days and bad days, yeah, exactly. And it's like though and everybody knows those bad days where somebody's being a little nicer to you or just, you know, says, Hey, nice shoes. Right. Right? Nice jib. Yeah. Right? It it picks you up. Uh so I don't need a bunch of comments about that. Just if you want to do anything about it, just be open and honest with your friends and your family and also just try to be kinder to each other.
1: Be nice to the people around you. Be nice to a stranger, too, because you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know where that person is from. Maybe they're from another town or another country, and and they're confused about where they are. Just Mm -hmm. be nice to one another. It's all all the captain's pushing for here.
2: Yeah, be kind. Don't suck. Don't be a douche wagon. And, uh, you know, be sweet. And you can be sweeter by checking out our sponsor, Talkspace. People ask me all the time, do you use... Your sponsors, have you checked out your sponsors? Yes, I have. And I think Talkspace is a great one. You know, we're talking about a lot of mental health issues today on the show. And because, uh, you know, I work my job and I I do all this stuff musically and then I work on the podcast, it gets a lot harder to keep a regular schedule Mm -hmm. with a therapist. So this is a great way where you have a therapist at your access, you know, 24-7.
1: Yeah, Talkspace's biggest thing, affordable confidential and convenient uh don't forget about this their special offer for our listeners visit talkspace.com garage again that's talkspace.com garage
2: yeah that's a fine sponsor and speaking of work i need to get back to my job so i can well, be here tomorrow
1: i want you to talk about your project real quick i i told you that you were going to have to talk about it on this show today
2: Yeah, so everybody knows that I do music. Uh, You can check out, I just launched a website. It's more like a uh, musical journal, if you will. There's not a bunch of stuff on it yet. I'll be posting because everybody asked me. So it's uh, Mm CaptainFatHands.com. I'm releasing my my real name. name. It's Professor Captain Mm -hmm. Fat Hands. Just go to CaptainFatHands.com, and that is going to be my little site for my musical journal. And on this Friday, on St. Patrick's Day, I have a project that I was involved in. Uh, I write a lot of songs and I sing, uh, normally not for other people. And the project's name is St. Patrick, and the album is called Tin Man. And that will be on iTunes. This Friday on St. Patrick's Day. Right. So the project is called St. Patrick, released on St. Patrick's Day.
1: Okay. So check out the Captain's website, CaptainFatHands.com. And we will be back tomorrow with lots more to talk about. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
2: Yeah, my boss is going to be pissed. I'm drunk.